Today's passage comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the Lord. We're starting a new series, and um, it's called Blessed Friendship. And this is the theme verse. Now, we just finished a really big series um, on holiness. I entitled that series, Most Deeply Human. And I don't know how many of you ever go back and re-listen to sermons. Um, but I would, if you do listen to older sermons, I would love it if you were to go back to that series. Especially the last, the last half of that series, okay? It's about 13 uh, sermons. And if you catch the last half of that series, I would love it if you as a part of the Revive family would go chew on that some more has so much to do about what is at the deep, deep desires of your heart and what you think your life is going to be about. And would you desire holiness? And uh, the whole series was to show you that holiness is not religiosity, but it's actually a deep, profound, it's a steadfast love with deep character. And that's really the crowning joy and glory of all of history. Now, with that said, we're going to try, I'm going to, I started a series and I, I want that last series ringing in your mind as we talk about this series. This series, I hope you will think about as an application. It's like, a, like roughly six weeks or so um, to round out the summer. And uh, I hope you think of this whole series as an opportunity to apply um, holiness, to seek holiness in your life. So let's get into it in this first message, Seeking Real Friends, Part 1. Autonomy and loneliness. Autonomy and loneliness. Part two, seeking and finding by being. Ah, whatever that means, right? Seeking and finding by being, all right? And part three, the best kind of friend. The best, best, best kind of friend, all right? So, um, before we get into this, this, this one super profound verse, I love this verse. Uh, the Proverbs have a way of just giving you punchy truths, like one boom. And then since we read them one after the after, oops, after the after the other, that's going to look great on the video. <laughs> since we read them one after the other after the other, it's very hard, it's very easy to just, just go over it. Um, but I've, been, I've, I've meditated on these, uh, <laughs> these verses over so many years. And these ones that, about friendship, there's, there's a lot about friendship actually in Proverbs. This is right up there at the top of my list of, of, of favorite ones. And I've thought about this. It's, it's so profound. But um, let me just uh, start before I, I get into that verse. I want to I share with you something I read. Uh, shared with one of my pastor friends in a discussion group. And there's an article called The State of American Friendship. And I forget the, the outfit. It's one of these, you know, these smart foundations. They, they gather all this money to try to get a sense of what our society is like. And um, what they did was they did these very deep and extensive surveys asking Americans about, about their friendships. And as you guys haven't noticed, this past year and a half or so, 
when you're like hunkered down at home, you're working at home, you're not going to see your friends, you're sick of Zoom meetings, all this stuff. Um, it hasn't been a great year for friendship. And, but let me just say this to you. It hasn't just been a, a bad one year for friendship. It's been like a bad generation for friendship. I'll share this article with you later on. Um, but I just want to just start by just sharing a couple things, all right? So first it says, obviously the pandemic hasn't been great for friendship, but it just says there's just some factors that maybe a lot of you don't think about. Like just one, Americans are marrying later than ever, and then they're geographically a lot more remote. Just something simple as that. So in the past, if somebody got married, let's say the guy would be like 26, and his wife would be 23. But that's when how old my, my wife and I were when we got married, right? But today, that's not, that's not the age young people are getting married. Um, they're getting married like later and later. And when that happens, that's, that's, that's a factor into where you settle down. And then because you don't settle down, you're like, I'm going to be at this job. I'm going to be at that job. I'm going to move to this city. I'm going to move to that city. It's a lot harder to have friends. Just, just that factor alone. That's not even like a, I'm selfish or something like that. It's just something about the way our culture works and how ambitious we are and the powers we have. Oh, here's, a, here's another factor. American parents are spending twice as much time with their children. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, so what that means is, so you get this really good thing. Isn't that a good thing that moms and dads are spending more time with their kids? But what it does tend to do is, that means there's, you know, there's only so much time. It's a zero-sum game. If you spend more time with your kids, you're spending less time doing something else. Guess what? One of the things that, that uh, parents are doing less of is spending less time with friends and making friends. And I don't know if that's entirely a good thing or a bad thing. It's obviously a good thing that parents spend more time with their children. But... Um, some of it, and I don't mean to be, don't, if you're one of these folks, don't, I'm not picking on you, okay? There are a lot of young parents today, you run your life around your kids. Your kids are like the most precious thing in your life. You, you arrange your whole life around your kids. And then a few years later, your marriage, which is supposed to be the most important friendship, is freeing. And that's not a good thing. And then you turn around, and while your marriage is freeing, you need some other friends to talk to somebody because your marriage is in trouble but you haven't been hanging out with those friends, so you don't know who to talk to. That's, that's a thing. So you get something like that. So something that seems to be good and spend more time with our children. But then we kind of obsessed about that. And then all the friendships just start kind of like, you know, going down. And um, it's, a, it's a reason why there's divorce. Or even though the people who don't get divorced, the marriages are not doing too good. All right? And, of course, you know this one. Americans are working longer hours and traveling more for work, which may come at the cost of maintaining and developing friendships. This is a city that's exactly like that. Um, there was somebody, there was a couple in our church a number of years ago, and the husband traveled probably like two out of four weeks. And he was pretty successful. And the wife said something like this. She goes, well, let me tell you a little bit of a, a dirty secret. If you're, if, if you're not being asked to travel, that means you're not moving up the ladder. 
you're not moving up the ladder and you're not going to be more successful and make a lot more money. Because in this city, this city does not just want to dominate an industry that's nearby. In this city, it's global, right? And so you're going to be asked to go to Europe or to China or at least to the Midwest. But it has a cost, right? Uh, there's a couple other things that I thought were really interesting from this article. Nearly half of Americans report having lost touch with at least a few friends over the past 12 months. So we're just talking about pandemic. Almost a half, 47%. This is a, the data from this uh, the survey is pretty serious. They didn't just ask 100 people. They asked a lot of people. So when they get this 47% number, it's a pretty good number. So at least half of, half of Americans have lost touch with at least a few of their friends. Okay, but this, this one's even worse. Nearly 1 in 10 Americans, 9%, report having less touch with most of their friends. Almost half have lost touch with a few of their friends. 9%, one out of 10, almost 1 out of 10, have lost touch with most of their friends. And this is interesting, too. It's actually, it seems to have been worse among young women. So nearly 6 in 10, 59% report having lost touch with at least a few friends, young women. And 16% say they are no longer in regular contact with most of their friends. That is a bad, bad statistic. You have this generation of young women in America, 16%. Yeah, I pretty much lost touch with most of my friends. That's a really, really bad number. And there's other things that's going on in this survey. They do things like this. They talk about, you know, like 30 years ago, how many friends did you have? How many close friends did you have? They ask older men, young, you know, you know various men, they ask women. And guess what? Almost all across the board, especially in the younger, like millennials down, you have fewer friends. And so I've felt this, you know, like I'm a 50-year-old ex-chain guy, okay? And I've felt this. Um, and yet just reading this to see this isn't just something I feel, it's, it's going on. This is, this is the reality, okay? Now I'll just talk about a couple other things. Before, let's get into this passage, all right? Um, you know, we live in a country where you're supposed to build your own identity. <laughs> and who is the Lord of your own identity? It's you. <laughs> so you get to build the project of your life, which is you. And let me just put, that sounds great because you're free to make your life the way you want. Nobody can tell you what to do, right? You can tell you, you can basically tell your parents if you don't like them, or if you disagree with them, Buzz off, right? And anytime you have a teacher or a coach or a boss, if they start saying stuff to you that you don't like, you can pretty much go, but I'm free. <laughs> I can always just disagree with you and then go my own way, right? But let me say this sound, that there's a very, very serious downside to this. So this general idea is autonomy. Like I'm the boss of my life. Auto means self. Nomos is law or rule. I'm the ruler of my own life. Autonomy sounds really, really great. The downside is we're practicing a lot of selfishness. 
What's filling up all the time and the energy and the preoccupation? Me telling myself the project of my own life. So what's important to me? Look, my career is important to me. My, my looks are important to me. My, 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 uh, my hobbies are important to me. My, my Netflix shows are important to me. My, my, my figure is important to me. Everything is about me. <laughs> you know what? You're not, you're not going to do very well with friends that way. <laughs> now, come on. Everybody knows this. Do you want a friend? You hang out with their friend, you, this friend, and, the, and then they're always about them. They're always about them. You get together with them, and they always want to eat the food they want to eat. <laughs> they want to watch a show they want, they want to watch. They want to do the hobbies they like. <laughs> if your hobby is a little bit less interesting than their hobby, they just look like they're bored while they kind of like, you know, tolerate you. And I don't mean to be like overly mean this way, but if I put it this way, don't you all know somebody like that? Or don't, aren't you like that? <laughs> aren't we all kind of like that? Aren't we all kind of like that? And so the downside is lots of selfishness. And then there's a cost. It's loneliness. <laughs> loneliness. And in the Bible, loneliness God makes, there's no bones, you know, there's nothing subtle about it. It's right in the beginning of the Bible. God makes Adam. He's living in paradise. There's no sin. He hasn't even sinned. God goes, it is not good that he's by himself. Not good. Now, if you study all the social scientists, you know what they say? That human beings are, the so, are a social animal right? And you know what? They're absolutely right. God, God made us that way. God made you for someone else. Ultimately, he made you for himself so that your social interaction, that you are fundamentally relational. You are intended to have a relationship to him. And then he made all these other people so that you would have a relationship to them. And so, we just went through a whole series to be most human. Holiness is about love. So I want to put this forward before we get into this. I want you to rethink, I want you to think really hard about this. What makes for a good life? What makes for a successful life? From God's point of view, a successful life is not your college or your career, how much money you have. That's what everybody thinks around in the world. It's not that those things don't matter, but they mostly don't matter, <laughs> okay? <laughs> all right? It's not that they don't matter at all, but they mostly don't matter, okay? If you live in a small house in a poor neighborhood and you went to a school that most that nobody else thinks is all that good and you ended up in a job that you didn't like, but your kids really, really love you. Your wife really, really loves you. Your friends, your friends, you've had long, long, deep time friends. And when the bottom drops out, this will happen. This will happen. This is the way it says, verse 18. A man may have many companions, 
but he may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. If your life is filled with those kinds of people, there's all these folks around you, and they are a friend that's like better than your brother. Man, you have had a really successful life. You've had a tremendous life. But if you have all the money and the fame and you went to the top schools and you live in a mansion, <laughs> you live in a mansion. Um, my, my, my family just went on a, a, a trip to L.A. and we went to Getty Center. Okay? Went to Getty Center. This is absolutely gorgeous art museum in Los Angeles. Right? And uh, it's, it's gorgeous. We went there. And there's this little portion in there where they tell you the story about J. Paul Getty, the guy who left all the money for this thing. And this guy, <laughs> he's had multiple wives. One of his grandsons was kidnapped. This is a real story. Was kidnapped. And then they, they, uh, the, the kidnappers demanded something like $17 million because he's the richest man in the world. Okay, he's a billionaire, $17 million. It's like, boop, you know, like whatever. And he refused to pay it. <laughs> and he was willing, he negotiated it down to $2.2 million. They tell this to you on the Getty thing. He negotiated down to $2.2 million after they clipped off a piece of the ear of his grandson to prove, yeah, we're going to do violence to him and sent it to him. By mail, but then there was a strike in the post office, so the, the, the ear got there really late. True story. Okay? And he negotiated down $2.2 million because he could get a tax benefit from it. Richest man in the world. You can imagine he lived in a gigantic mansion, but he didn't have a lot of people like this. A man may have many companions come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Think about that. So I want to put this, I mean, I'm just sticking this at you, like punching you in the head. Oh, you Silicon Valley, world, worldly, worldly, like I'm going to have a happy life. Worldly, worldly Christians. So I want to just ask you to think about this. The quality of your relationships especially the quality of your friendships. I think friendships are a really, really great uh, acid test of a person. Because your spouse, you've got to hang out with your spouse. Your kids, you have a duty that you're supposed to try to love them. Okay? But your friend, if you're going to, if you're going to have friendships, you have to choose. You have to have a certain character to be there so I want to ask you, do you have a lot of friends in your life who stick closer than a brother? How many do you have? It's a question I want to ask you. Do you have such people in your life? And if your life is filled with those kind of people and those are multiplying, who cares how much money you have, really? Really, who cares? Okay? Let's go to part two. Okay. Part two, how do you get there? 
How do you get there? And I want to ask, and, and I'm going to give you, it's not a hard secret, but it seems to be a secret today. Okay? How do you get friends who will stick closer than a brother? Like if you have a thousand companions, okay, that, that's the word that the Bible uses, companions. But you all know the words that the, our, our social media uses. If you have a thousand friends... In your social media feed. If you have a thousand people follow you, they're your friends, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay? You, your life, your life can very easily come to ruins. So, like, that's why I love this verse. I read this verse and I said, wow. I'm just like, I might as well just, just use this verse on and just tell it to the whole world that's from God. But how do you get those friends to stick closer than a brother? Wow, okay? And um, let me tell you how, okay? The title of this portion is Seeking Those Friends and Finding Them by Being One. <laughs> That's how you get them. If you're not one, then you need to become a friend like that. <laughs> Are you a good friend? Do you really, really love your friends? Do your friends think of you as a friend? Or do they put you in the acquaintance category? Are you a Facebook friend? <laughs> Are you an Instagram follower? Or do your friends say, that, that dude is a friend? <laughs> if my marriage starts to tank, that's the guy I can call. Ladies, you have, do you have a place where, like, if you are weeping... Who, who's on that list? I can call that person up. And you know, you know they will show up. Hmm. It's interesting is like your own sister might not be on that list. <laughs> See what I'm saying? There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If you have those people in your life, you have a rich life. But how do you get there? You get there by being a friend. So I want to just, you know, whatever, you know, there's just one sermon. And I'm just going to offer you two things that I want to say about this, okay? Number one, consistency and commitment. Well, I guess that's two. But if you're going to be consistent, you have to have a commitment. If you're committed, you'll be consistent. So it's, it is kind of one. Are you consistent? Are you consistent? Or... Or your friends only get your time when it's convenient. Are you convenient? Are you only a convenient friend? And do you only have friends when it's convenient to you? Or are you consistent? And you'll be committed when it's inconvenient to you. Maybe really inconvenient to you. Maybe costly to you. If that's the case... Now you're talking about real friendship. And if you're going to be that kind of friends, it, it really starts with something in your mind, inside your heart. It starts with a conviction. I'm not, I'm not all like, I could be like a black preacher or something, use all like the alliterative C's. Okay, I'm not that good. Okay, but you have to have a conviction. And I'm going, I want, I'm going to put commitment, consistency, 
and I'm going to put that high in my life. So, your friends, let me just tell you this to you this way. If you're going to be a really good friend, you must accept inconvenience. <laughs> you must accept that times in your life, you're going to be doing stuff that you don't feel like doing. <laughs> you're going to be hanging out. You're going to like, oh, gosh, like, you know, like, this is the third time she's told me about her boyfriend and why, and so, okay, now, okay, the first time I had compassion, the second time I still had compassion, and the third time, it's gone, <laughs> okay? It's like now there's no more compassion, it's very, very inconvenient, and this is seriously annoying. <laughs> How about the fourth time and the fifth time? How about if you start going after the fourth time, Lord, Help me to say it in a good and gentle way, but in a really loving way. Like, let's not do this again. Let's not get drunk for the fifth time. Let's not just cry and feel sorry for ourselves the fifth time. And I'll be here for you. Let's, let's go do something else. You know? Uh, I, I, one of the things I do for my kids when they're feeling low is, want to get some ice cream? I don't know. It seems stupid, but it's not. A little bit of happiness together when they're down. Friendship. And especially when it's inconvenient. Let me offer a second one. Okay. If you're a real friend, the other person can let you into what hurts, right? When they're vulnerable, they'll let you in. They'll tell you about it. So let me just say this little something about this. If you have all kinds of friends and they never tell you, they never tell you about when they're hurting or when they're low or when they're fearful, let me tell you, they don't think you're your, you're a friend. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean here, but they don't think you're a friend. You're like a Facebook friend. <laughs> friend. <laughs> okay? But a real friend will turn to somebody else when they're in a hard place. <laughs> but now let me push it even more deeper, deeper. If you're going to be a real friend back, you will share when you're in a hard place. You will be vulnerable. If you will be vulnerable to your friend, they will know, they will know that you're saying, you're my friend. <laughs> I love you. I trust you. And if you let me down right now, dude, it will hurt. <laughs> it will seriously hurt. So, let me ask you that. Can you do that? Can you love somebody enough that you will show them your soft underbelly and you will risk, you will risk them letting you down? Can you do that? And let me push it one more, okay? If you've never done that, if you don't do that, I'm willing to bet you don't have a lot of friends. 
this kind of friend. Okay? Proverbs 18, 24 kind of friend. If you only wait for somebody to come into your life who's so safe, you're safe. Okay, now I know you're safe. By the way, how do you know if you're safe? You just have a feeling? Your feelings are probably not a very good indicator. How do you know they're safe? So you wait till they're safe. And then when you're, the bottom drops out and something hurts inside of your life, now you're ready to share. You're ready to be vulnerable and to be a friend to them and signal to them, I love you enough to give you this, to let you see this, to know about this, to know about this part of my life where I, I seriously, seriously failed and I'm ashamed. To know there's something about my life where there's something really, really bad inside my family and it's a wound that I carry. Or there's this, there's this, uh, this hope I have in the future and like I really, really want to meet this really, really great guy, but the thing I'm really, really afraid of is that I'm just too ugly. Hmm. How about that? So, now let's get really real here. You start the friendship by being vulnerable. Hmm. You start it. So, so easy to talk about sports or about the latest cool dress or how cool your hair is. It's easy to talk about work. It'll get a little bit deeper here now. But do you have the guts to say, you know, I'm going to try to be a real friend to this person. And you put the vulnerability out there first. How about that? How about doing that while you're sober? That's like the Korean way. All the dudes, dude, let's go out and get drinks. You know, after the 10th shot, like totally hammered. Now I'll tell you why I'm so sad. Okay? That's the stupid Korean way. The Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, not drunk in the other way. Very clear, totally sober. You put it out there. You put yourself out there. And maybe they will, maybe they'll let you down. Maybe they'll let you down. Maybe they'll be one of these insensitive people that tries to fix you. Or maybe they'll really listen and be honored. Said, wow, you would give that to me? And then they turn around. And they'll tell you something deep, too. And now we're in friendship. Right? Now we're in friendship. So, you want real friends? Seek them. Put them on your list. You've got to seek them. How will you find them? You will find them by being one. Let's close this message. The best kind of friend... Okay, so I kind of gave you the how, but really, most of you probably won't do it. Why? Because you're afraid. <laughs> or you're like, selfish is easier. <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> and I like watching my Netflix shows. 
you know, this is one of the big reasons why we don't have many friends. This sucker right here. And let me tell you, if your friendships are all through, through this, you probably don't have a lot of friends. Okay? But what I want to offer you is the good news from God. We need a power so that we can have the courage to do this. We need a hope so big that it'll, it'll, it'll like break up some of our selfishness. We need something like so much more compelling that you'll say, you know what? You know, uh, that my pastor went through 13 crazy sermons to convince me that I should desire holiness and holy loving more than success in life. That's crazy talk. And I theoretically kind of want that, but I really don't. <laughs> I still rather just have success, worldly success in life. What you need is you need a power. And I want to close by offering you the gospel. The gospel is that power. The gospel is the power. It says it's the power of God for salvation. Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. What kind of salvation are we talking about here? Salvation is like, okay, I want to go to the good place after I die. Okay, good, I hope you do. I want to be forgiven of my sins. Good, I hope you do. How about salvation from all my autonomous, selfish sinfulness where I don't get any friends? Where I'm mostly lonely all the time. So where like, if things don't go well for me, I just kind of just hunker down and enter into my shell and get lost in TV shows or in alcohol or something like that. Right? We need a power. So, that's why I love this verse. A man may have many companions. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If you've been in our church a long time, you know who I'm going to talk about next, right? I want to... I'm going to tell you a verse, and I, I, I love it when this happens. <laughs> uh, our praise leader has no idea what I'm going to say, and then he picks a song that quotes what I'm going to say. <laughs> then I just know God's like, yep, we're aligned. There's a, there's a, there's a portion that we sang. It's famous. It's from Psalm chapter 23. It goes like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. And that's a pretty good description of a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's when you need the friend the most. You're walking through this valley, and it's awful. You're not dead yet, it's just a shadow of dying. But someone is with you. And for those of you who know, this is about the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in lack. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. I'd like to tell you a story, and then I'm going to give you the gospel in close. Okay? This week... Um, you know, I'm going to be on the, the team that goes to Native American Reservation to Bishop. 
And there is a young woman there that I badly want to see. And uh, I won't give you her name. I'm going to tell you a little story about her. I baptized this young lady uh, a few years ago. I'm going to just call her Anne. I won't give you her name because she has a bit of a sensitivity in her story, okay? Um, so, about a few years ago, she, she said, I want to get baptized. She came forward. We offered it. And I said, I need to hear this story. I'm like, I want to hear, like, how do you, you know, you're, how you came to trust in Jesus. So we're sitting in the office, and she starts telling me a story. She's, she's probably like 13 years old or something here. <laughs> and she said, well, my parents split up when I was little. And we ended up, like, moving around, living in different people's houses. For a time, we were with my grandparents. This is her and her brother. I know her brother, too. And, um, you know, our bishop, folks who go on a mission, we love her mother, but her mother could be difficult. She's a single mother. As far as I know, she's never known her father. I didn't even know this until this past week. I always thought her brother and her came from the same father, but it turned out not to be the case. So her mother has kind of had a string of like boyfriends or I don't know if she's married and she has an alcohol issue. She's actually really quite bright and more pretty capable. And so, you know, her children have grown up here and then they move there and then she'd lose her job there and then she'd like move here. And like just in the few years we've known, like literally every single time we, we come to the reservation, they're living somewhere else. And it's hard to even track them down. But this summer, she was there. She was coming to this, these discipleships thing. That's what we called it. It was really super basic. Teaching them how to have a prayer life. And then offer baptism. And she was like, I want this, Pastor Suzanne. So she sat at the store. So my, when I was really little, I think she's like four. We, like, my parents split up. I was like, how old are you? She, like, she's really young, three, four years old. And then there was this period of time when we were living with this lady and she took us to church. So when she, she described this woman and, um, and I think basically she was in a foster home. <laughs> so dad is, I don't know, he's a deadbeat out of the mix and mom is probably not in the best shape because she has alcohol issues. And so I don't know, maybe grandparents weren't available, and so they're in a foster home. And so this lady took us to church. She was super kind. And every night, she would tell us stories from the children's Bible. And she told us about Jesus. And that was the first time I really heard about Jesus. And she said this way. I knew he was like my best friend. That's why I want to get baptized. She came to know Jesus when she was like five or six. I don't exactly know how old she was. Maybe six years old. And her life has been chaotic, unstable all throughout the years. And so here she is. We're sitting in this church office. She's telling me this story. And when she tells me this story, I was in awe. For the first couple years, I went to Bishop. This was my, kind of my attitude, like, 
why do I have to do this, Lord? <laughs> My church is not good at this. And this is really hard. And I don't like being in a desert town that has 103 degrees. And I don't really love these folks, these Native American folks. Why do I have to do this? And he said, Lord, why did you send our church, our you're like snotty, Asian, Silicon Valley church that stinks, like seriously, seriously stinks at loving poor people. Why are we here? And um, it took me a while before I started to realize that you had these grandmothers who loved Jesus, who've been praying for grandchildren, praying for her children and her grandchildren and all the other kids that they know on the reservation for years. And when this young girl told me that Jesus was her friend since she was like six years old, I was in awe. I remember sitting there thinking, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. Because Jesus is her friend who sticks closer to her than a brother. And Jesus goes out of his way to find some fool pastor in a rich city and say, you, go over there. Lead this crazy team, even though they stink at it. And go love my friend. Go encourage my friend. And tell her that I'm still there for her. That's what it was like. And so she's telling me this story. And I start like bowing my, <laughs> leave my head because I'm like about to start bawling. If you never believe in Jesus or think that this God stuff is not real, this is what it's like. There is one who is mighty, who is beautiful and glorious. He never needed no Stanford or a degree because he's omniscient. And he has holy love. And then he says, I will be your friend. How far will I be your friend? I will show up into the slum called your neighborhood. Into the horror and mess of your heart and your sins in your life. And I'll be such a friend that I'll pay. It will become absolutely inconvenient. And I will die. And when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there. <laughs> I will be there. That is the promise of the gospel. That is the promise of Jesus. It is real. It is super real. If you go through this life and you're like, I don't have friends, or like my friends are all letting me down, or like and you're like you're like you're like, you're like self-righteous, so you, you you think all your friends are letting you down, but you're the one who's not showing up. You're the one on your phone too much. You're the one who hasn't like invested in any of your friendships for like the last year and a half because that's kind of like what we have all been doing. And then you're in a really low and hard place. Can you trust and believe that there is the best friend? He's the best kind of friend who go to hell and death 
and be crucified for you. And we'll be there in the valley of the shadow of death. And you most need a friend. And he might even do something crazy like, you know, you're a nobody. You're this little girl shuttling around from one reservation to another because you have an alcoholic mom. Nobody thinks you're anything, including you. But you got the best friend there is. And he will literally make a crazy church in a rich town, like spend thousands and thousands of dollars and will seriously inconvenience this fool guy that, you know, he said, you, you belong to me, you're a pastor, do what I say. Make the people you lead do what I say so he could be her friend. That's the best kind of friend. And if you give your life to him, he'll be your friend. And if you have a friend like that, and when he gives you that friendship, you can begin to have the power to give other people that kind of friendship. And then you'll have a great life. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we're selfish. Our souls are curved in on ourselves. Our souls are curved in on our phones. We like easy things. We like convenience. We like to use people. We call them our friends. We like them showing up when it's convenient for us. We like them to be easy and convenient. But thanks be to God, Lord Jesus, you are far better than that. Thanks be to God that you did not have to do it, but you offer us a friendship forever. You offer us a friendship at the center of it is your holiness. It is a love that you will move mountains. If you would go to the cross for us and move and absolutely pitch hell over and tip it over to be our friend, why would you not do other things for us when we're in the valley of the shadow of death? Help us to believe in this, to see this, and then to walk with you and to have this friendship and relationship with you we could draw from the everlasting source of true friendship and be real friends and offer all our hurting and selfish and blind and lost neighbors and family members and co-workers a better friendship than anything that's in this world. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.